2013, Michigan State University did a study on the hand-washing habits of people on the college campus. They watched almost 4,000 people wash their hands in the bathroom. Now, I don't know how they did this without being really creepy, but they watched it somehow. And here's what they found. They found that one in four people only rinse with water. 10% of people don't wash their hands at all, which is honestly a lot better than I thought that it was going to be. But 80% of the people did it for 10 seconds or less, and many of those did it for less than four seconds, which is way less than how long they say you should wash your hands. Now, before I go on, I just want to say that when the sign of peace happens, just forget that I said any of this. <laughs> so when we look at the gospel today, we see why Jesus' disciples didn't wash their hands. Is this what the Pharisees had in mind? Were they just overly concerned with cleanliness and germs, and they just wanted to make sure that, you know, encourage the disciples, you know, to be a little bit cleaner. It's, it's not really good to eat without washing your hands. Actual, in actuality, the ritual washings that the Jewish people did before meals weren't connected to hygiene at all. It was a way of bringing the purification rites that they would do in the temple into their daily lives. So in ancient Judaism, the Jews would practice, they would, they would wash themselves before entering the temple into worship as a sign of recognizing their need for God, and they would wash themselves as a sign of the interior purification and the cleansing that God would offer to them. It's similar to what happens at the beginning of Mass when we do the penitential rite. We recognize our need for God's mercy, and we, 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 we cry out for that mercy and forgiveness that we know that He offers us. So what the Pharisees did is that they took that even farther. They took the washing that would happen to the temple and brought it into daily life. So before meals, the Jews would wash their hands as, as a reminder of this purification that they knew that they needed. Which is actually a good thing. Like bringing an awareness of God's presence in our daily life is something that we should all strive for. That's something to be admired. So what's the problem here? The Pharisees' problem wasn't so much the washings, but as a loss of focus. Seeing these things merely as external obligations to be fulfilled, instead of sincerely and intentionally doing these things as acts of faith and love. So they focused on the externals, not really caring about true conversion of heart. They had disconnected themselves from the very reason why they were doing this in the first place. So Jesus, in his response to them, is like he's saying to them, so you want to criticize other people, you want to help them grow, then let's talk, about, let's talk about greed. Let's talk about unchastity and lust. Let's talk about theft and murder and adultery and pride. These are the evils that you need to be calling out, not just focusing on these external rituals. Let's talk about what really needs to be purified if we're going to have true conversion of heart. The external rituals are good, but they mean nothing if we don't know why we're doing them. All it does is leave essentially an empty skeleton. Externals without any, any real substance. And when a person's faith in their religious life is reduced to this external skeleton, it's a teetering wall that's really on the verge of collapsing. I think 
that we can agree there's a lot going on right now in the world, in the church, and that more is probably going to happen. Looking at Jesus' challenge to the Pharisees in light of all that's going on, we have to ask ourselves a very important question. See, when I was in the seminary, I entered to discern whether, whether God was calling me to be a priest for this diocese of Homo Thibodeau. But once I got there, my discernment was kind of pulled in two directions. I discovered my, my fascination with the life of the monks who ran the seminary. These men who dedicated their life solely to prayer and their relationship with God. And I saw great beauty in that and desired that. And I often imagine what it would be like if I left seminary and joined the monastery. What would it be like to be a monk? On top of that, I had friends of mine who, while in seminary, discerned that God wasn't calling them to be a priest. And so they left the seminary. And I was always fascinated with how they came to that, that conclusion. And so what ended up happening was that in one way or another, I spent more time thinking about why I could leave, what it would be like if I left, than why I was staying. Spending more time looking outside at other people instead of looking inside of myself, right, like in that moment, and saying, why are you here? Why are you staying? I did a 30-day silent retreat last summer. So it's 30 days of no talking, no internet, no communication, nothing. And one big thing that God helped me to see in that time was to get past all that to that fundamental question. It's the question really that Jesus poses to the Pharisees and the question that we can ask ourselves today. Why do you stay? Why are you here? Why, despite all that's going on, are you Catholic? Now, I can't answer that question for you. Everyone has to have their own answer to that question, or else their, their faith is on the verge of falling. But for me, it boils down to the fact that I had an encounter with Jesus. That I fell in love with the God who comes down to me and is most present here, most fully in the Eucharist. And I could never imagine going anywhere else. God is here, and my heart can't help but echo the words that we heard from Peter last week. Where else can we go? Because you're here. So, as I said, there's a lot going on right now. And it's easy to say, why stay? What could be worth all of this? And there's a part of me that understands. But the bigger part of me says that this is a great time to be in the church. In fact, this is the time to be Catholic. When it doesn't make sense, when it's difficult, when it's against everything that seems to be right, that is when Christ calls us to be a witness. I remember about 10 or 11 years ago, I was still in high school, and I went to a, a vocations barbecue event. Was, they sent invitations to guys who they thought might be considering the priesthood, and I don't, I, I don't know why, I don't remember why I went, because it wasn't really something on my radar at the time. But I remember going, and I don't remember really anything that happened there, but I remember one, one story that a priest told us. He said that in the history of the church, every 500 years, there's a great renewal that happens that calls us back to the heart of the gospel. So Christ comes he suffers, he dies, he rises from the dead and is ascended into heaven. And he leaves Peter and the apostles 
in charge of his church. And for centuries, they boldly witnessed to the truth of salvation, even often to the point of martyrdom. They give their lives for the faith that they know to be true and to be salvific. But eventually, once Christianity becomes legalized in the empire, things kind of become lax. Priests and bishops give in to worldly living. And around 500 AD, a young man from a small town called Norcia in Italy named Benedict, he decided to found a monastery. He didn't set out to change the world. He just wanted to give his life to Christ. And that man would go on to become the father of all of Western monasticism and would transform the entire Christian culture of Europe. And that lasted for about 500 years. Then around 1000, 1100 AD, the church had again fallen into dark times. A young man from a small town of Assisi named Francis was profoundly impacted by an experience he had with Jesus. Christ told him, go and rebuild my church. So he started a small community of men who committed themselves to radically living out the gospel in a fallen world. And alongside St. Dominic, who founded an order of preachers, the Franciscans and Dominicans would go on to be a source of profound impact of the renewal of the church. And again, 500 years later, things weren't looking so good. A monk named Martin Luther had just nailed his 95 theses to the door of the cathedral in Germany and set off the Protestant Reformation. About that time, there was a young military commander named Ignatius from a small town of Loyola in Spain, and he, again, had this experience of falling in love with Christ. He would go on to found the Jesuits, the largest religious order in the world, who would evangelize countless people and communities for centuries. Around the same time, a nun named Teresa from a small town of Avila, with her partner St. John of the Cross, would rise up in the Carmelite community to lead a profound spiritual renewal in the church. And now here we are, 500 years later. The history doesn't lie. The time of renewal is upon us right now. And it seems like it always comes from unknown people in unknown places. Avila, Norcia, Assisi, um, Loyola. These are all small towns that no one had ever heard of, of no real great importance in society. All the people were nobodies who God used to change the world. And this is where renewal comes from. From individual people who commit themselves to Christ and to his church, to the truth that he offers to us. This is where the light that we so desperately need comes from. Even from a small town of Homa that no one's ever heard of, God wants to raise up saints to renew his church. Right now we're at a time not to leave the church, but to lead it into a time of renewal. Father Mike mentioned in his homily last week that he had a decision to make in his diaconate year, which was when the 2001 scandals broke. And he mentioned that I was in a similar situation right now. The church has the truth. It has salvation. It has Jesus Christ present here with us. 
The church is the bride of Christ, and she's worth fighting for. And so I do choose to join this battle of renewal. I choose to be a light in this fallen world. And so the question that we, we all have to answer is that what will I be? Will I join in this fight? Will I stay and be the light that this world so desperately needs? The source of renewal that God can use in his church.